Good morning, Axis, and everyone that's joined us online today. We hope you're blessed by joining with us. We'll be going a new series here at Axis Church on the I Am Statements of Jesus. He made seven of them throughout the Gospel of John, statements that self-identify his character and his identity. So far, we've looked at Jesus when he said, I am the door. He's essentially saying, I stand at the front of the life of a believer, guarding what comes in and out of their existence. We then went on Easter Sunday to look at where Jesus said this statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Even when things look bleak, hopeless, dare we say dead even, Jesus can step in and bring new life. Today we look at this third statement of Jesus. It's found in John chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can begin turning there where Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. A reminder that you can find our sermon notes under the Version app. If you search events, Access Church, North Lakes, you'll find all the notes to our sermon today there. Imagine it's 8.30 p.m. You're home alone with every available light in the house on and all of a sudden the power goes out. You're in darkness. What do you do? Well, if you're under 40, you say, no big deal, John, I pull this out and I turn my torch on. I've always got my mobile phone nearby. Well, you young whippersnappers need to know how difficult life was if you're over 40 and that happened back some time ago. When the power went off, it was panic mode. You had to go and search for any source of light, a match, a candle, anything would do because you were in utter darkness back in my day. All the over 40s understand and get it. All the under 40s, you don't understand how rough it was to live through such a time. Until things are dark, we don't appreciate the light. Today, another striking claim made by Jesus. I am the light of the world. Take me off the scene, Jesus says, and the whole world falls into darkness. The whole world loses its power source. Everything gets dark if you take my presence away from the world. I am the light of the world. If we rewind back to the beginning of John, and I invite you to do that in your own time, back to chapter 1, you'll see John recording that not only Jesus is light in the present, but in actuality, light originated from Jesus. That's back in the first chapter of John. If you go back in the Bible even further to the Bible's first book, Genesis chapter 1, we get insight there into how light began interacting with darkness in the first place, how light overcame darkness, how darkness was no match for light. Light came into the world through God's mouth, through God speaking light into existence. So before we get to John chapter 8, just a quick drive by this morning of Genesis chapter 1, where we get an understanding of when the first flicker of light began. Genesis chapter 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, 
Let there be light. Those four words change everything. And there was light, just like that. Verse 4, And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. So where does light come from? God's speech. That's where. With his mouth, God blesses the world with a capacity to see. With just four words, we get to see beauty and colour and wonder. All that via these four words, let there be light. Those words from the lips of the Almighty was enough to set off this amazing phenomenon we call light. It was enough to extinguish the rule of darkness that, that ruled until that point and then light broke through. So my goal today is to not only show you that light originated from Jesus, but to recognise the maker of anything is the most authorised user. Let me say that again. The maker of anything is the most authorised user. So it stands to logic. If Christ formed this thing that we call light, he understands the intended purpose of it far better than anybody else. Like many things, here's what we first need to know. Light isn't neutral. It can be used for good or bad. Sounds weird, I know, because we always think of light being a good and healthy thing, and it is, ultimately, but I can purchase a birthday cake, but it ceases to be a blessing if I then get that cake and slam it in your face. I haven't blessed you with something good. I've actually cursed you with it. And light is the same. It depends on the way it's used as to whether the person on the receiving end is going to find it helpful or unhelpful. The Bible says of itself, it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So the Bible contains light because it contains the words of God where light originates from. And through his word, we get light. But who knows? That light that we find in scripture is not always well used. And that's what we bump into in John 8 in our account today between Jesus and these religious guys who stand there taking this posture of, I'm better than you. See, where and when Jesus makes this, these I am statements is telling. It's not only the content that matters when we come to the scriptures. It's always the context as well that tells us a ton about what we need to learn. Because as we learn in our discussion about Jesus being the door, Again here, Jesus is drawing a contrast in how he uses light and how the guys in our story we find are using their light. Wielding it to show people up is how they were trying to use light. And this I am the light of the world statement is grounded in story, a most interesting story, where Jesus is drawn into this showdown in John chapter 8 and jumping to the defence of a lady who, whose darkness is being highlighted. Without further delay, let's jump in and read. John 8, reading from verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back at the, again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. 
they put her in front of the crowd and said, Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Question right there. What did they put her up front? To shine a light on how sinful she was. That was their intention. That was their purpose, to, to put the spotlight of public scrutiny on her and accuse her and condemn her, to demonstrate to everybody how dark she is. Not a good use of light. They're out to show her up. And furthermore, they're out to show Jesus up. They think they've got him cornered here because they hold up the scriptures and they know what to do with it. And they're out to show that Jesus really doesn't know. They are the enlightened ones and he really is in the dark. That's what's going on here. That's the power play that we're witnessing here in John 8. We read on in verse 5. The law of Moses said to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said, all right. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So this plan to catch Jesus out and make him look foolish with a crowd is kind of falling flat. One of the reasons I have so much admiration for Jesus is his demonstrated lack of appetite for gotcha moments. Because that's what's going on here. They're like, Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act. Look at her sin. We've got her. And Jesus takes opportunity seemingly to build a sandcastle, to do something down there in the dirt anyway. We don't know what. We know this. He shares zero alignment with their attitude to shine a light on her faults. We read on verse 10, Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. There's our big statement. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. I am the light of the world, says Jesus. In my first ever address to Axis Church, I talked about the art of shining light well. And I actually touched on this chapter in John 8 and drew out the principle from Jesus about how he engages with light, how he shines his light. And we talked that day about truth in private and grace in public. This is the principle we get from Jesus here. This is how he uses his light with great care, with great sensitivity, with great wisdom towards the individual involved. Jesus doesn't activate light in a grievous manner, in a way that annoys the person on the other side. He's considerate of the person on the other side of where he's shining his light. Contrary to the intentions of the guys in our reading in John 8 that we read about, to find someone living in the dark. This is the moment they've been manufacturing and longing for to, to show their expertise with light. They know the rule book. They know how to, how to find fault and how to, how to draw it out and make someone look silly. 
and they've come to a conclusion already. They've made their call. We've found a sinner to shine the light of God's law on. And we want to see this woman stoned. And we need to know, first century version of stone with rocks, not see her high. See her stoned, see her destroyed, see her executed. They hold up her darkness with the light of God's holiness manual. And they say, in view of this, she's an absolute failure. She's blown it. Her life's over. And they're ready to condemn her, to write her off. Verse 3 says, they purposefully create a scene. They gather an audience. They want everybody to see this showdown happen. And everyone's there on the edge of their seat, wondering what will Jesus do? Well, apparently he has no interest in the fault finding game. It's not how he operates. Under the public spotlight with the cameras rolling, Jesus forfeits. He's not interested. He only offers grace in the public setting. That's his public posture. And he actually turns the spotlight back on them. He says, okay, okay, you're welcome to get this execution party started. Just one simple condition, only one. Then you can fire away. The person who's never sinned, the person who's only ever walked in light, the person who's never put a foot wrong, never stepped onto the dark side, never ever. They get the privilege of the first shot. The person who's never sinned amongst you, you can get this show off and running. Whoever has never sinned, you throw the first stone. Here's what Jesus does. He deflects the blowtorch right back at them, at the accusers. He's not seduced into scrutinising this woman's sin, not with an audience. That's not how he operates. Now, are there exceptions to this rule? Grace in public, truth in private? Absolutely. There's times in scripture where God calls an entire city to repent all at once. That's pretty public. But in terms of dealing with an individual sin, Jesus gives us a model here. And I think a warning. Be careful about taking something as good as God's holy word revealed in scripture, the light, and, and with the intention of destroying someone's life with it. That's not a good use of light. So light is as helpful or unhelpful as our manner of using it. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But what we need to understand is that statement's made smack bang in the middle of this crazy altercation of this public scrutiny of the religious leaders at the time having their sin de detector on, operating, full beam, trying to find someone. And it's in the face of that, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. See why context matters? Because here we're witnessing this showdown of how we manage light. It's a really good observation of this text. Let's throw an X factor into the conversation because there is one. Jesus isn't the only force in operation in our world today. It's not a one-way street. It's not as though Jesus arrived on planet Earth and said, I am the light, and therefore all darkness just vanished, died. 
No. There's a real battle going on between darkness and light. Jesus' arrival on earth doesn't put an end to darkness. The battle rages on. I don't know if you'd realise that before right now. This might be news for some. But the dark side, Satan and his evil forces are real characters. The battle is genuine. It really happens on a daily basis. And we imagine light and darkness, because they're opposites, to be easy to detect a difference. But actually, that's not, that's not the news from the Bible. The news is actually, it's complicated. It's complicated because Satan is out to camouflage his work and make his dark intentions actually appear like he has our best interests at heart. He comes to bring light. Jesus isn't the only one using light. And this is a big issue because the intentions of the enemy of souls is only ever dark. And yet he's a master of false appearances, of making something horrendous that's evil and dark to the core actually look to us innocent, harmless, good. The Bible warns us with this. It says Satan will come to us as an angel of light, an angel of light. His aim is to slip in undetected. And even better, if he can slip in and be believed as though he's coming with our good intentions at heart. He never, ever does. But he's out to make us think he does. So crafty is he in his approach, it becomes difficult to sort which is actually the true light of Jesus and which isn't, which is a counterfeit, which has an appearance of light, but actually is anything but. Our reading today can help because it offers an example of how this plays out. See, the guys that are out to make a public spectacle of this lady and using the Bible to do so look like they're doing good, but they're actually not. They're doing the work of the dark side. This is exactly what Satan's up to. He'll use scripture even. He'll use things that would, we would imagine God would use and God would speak to us and God would, would come to us and communicate with us in this way. And his intention every single time is to draw us into this dark, depressed state. He'll use anything, anything, even scripture. He used it when he came to Jesus. When, he, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, he twisted the Bible to try and tie Jesus up in knots. But Jesus was up for the challenge. He saw the holes in Satan's presentation of scripture. And we need to have the same clarity of thought if we are to do the same, if we are to perceive when the deceiver is coming as an angel of light. So what's he out to do with this light approach? He's out to condemn. It's what he was trying to do in John 8, and he's still doing it today. You say, John, I'm confused. If he uses the Bible, how am I supposed to know when it's the voice of God coming into my life and when it's the voice of the enemy? Well, like any voice, you grow familiar with it over time. If you were calling me on the phone for the first time, with an unknown number, you would need to introduce yourself. You'd need to explain the reason of the call. You'd need to put some context around that, or I wouldn't have a clue who you were. If my wife, however, was calling me on the phone, even from an unknown number, it wouldn't take me long in the conversation to work out who the caller was. 
if not the first word, it'd be only a few words into the first sentence. And I would know this is someone that I'm intimate with. This is someone that I know well. This is my wife calling. In the same way, as we spend time with the Lord, we get to know his voice. Let me try and offer you some help on that. One voice, God's voice, will bring conviction. He comes to us with the light of scripture in order to bring conviction. The enemy, however, will bring the voice of condemnation. Can I just say, though, in the first instance, they feel similar. Both feel pretty lousy. They do. Both feel awful. Conviction from God feels heavy. When God shines his light on us, it, 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 it is heavy. It is awkward, but it is healthy and it is life-giving. While conviction and condemnation might begin with similar feelings, they have very, very different outcomes, let me tell you. Conviction leads me towards God. Conviction makes God approachable to me. Yes, I've got some things to sort, but God's on my team and he's, he's wooing me toward him with conviction. Condemnation has me feeling God's unapproachable. He's abandoned me. He doesn't care about me at all. Condemnation drives me away from God. Condemnation leaves me feeling like I'm left in the dark. Let's drill down a little further. Conviction is about my behaviour. Condemnation is about my identity. God, with conviction, will shine his light on my life and call me to account over my behaviour. The enemy of souls, he'll come with condemnation to go after my identity. One is specific conviction. One is generic condemnation. Conviction is the voice of God's spirit coming to me and practically saying, Jonah, the way you spoke to that person yesterday was not right. You didn't come across at all as humble. You need to go back and remedy that situation. With conviction, I know clearly what, I, what action I need to take in order to walk back into the light with God. Conviction is restorative. Yes, it's piercingly hot. It is. But I'm not left burnt by it. My heart is strangely warmed by it. It's invitational. It draws me back into sweet fellowship with God. I'm left in no doubt what I must do to remedy the darkness in my heart at that given time. God brings conviction, but he does so in the quiet places, away from the noise of the crowd. And it's in order to increase my intimacy with him. This is what the light of God does in my life. On the other hand, condemnation is just the opposite. It has me questioning my worth, my identity, my entire being gets called into question. Condemnation has me feeling useless, worthless. It's the voice of darkness saying, Jono, your life is hopeless. You might as well give up now. Not only the way you spoke to that person was inappropriate, you're just a pathetic relator all round. You ought to give up. Condemnation leaves me feeling disconnected. Condemnation 
has me feeling that God is unattainable, that I'm a sinner, I'm distant from him, I need to hide in the dark with this secret that I carry. This dark voice speaks loud, hoping to invoke voices of shame, pointing out to everybody else how pathetic I am. If we invite the presence of Jesus in and his light, he will set things in order. Our lives are under new management and they will look different. Jesus doesn't wink at the live-in boyfriend situation. He's going to go after that. He's going to confront. He's going to go there. He won't pussyfoot around the issue. He'll call for change. But your life will be better off for it. That hidden income for the purpose of a tax dodge is needing action today. You can't wait till a new financial year to get sorted out. The light of the world will not conveniently just let you sit on it. He'll call you to change today. Those white lies that are told to cover your tracks are not okay with Jesus. He doesn't see lies as white. He sees them as really dark. And he'll call us to shift to this place of renewal where our lives and our light is fueled by him. The walk, the call rather to walk in light for this particular lady in John 8 is fierce. It's massive. It's life transforming for her. Go and sin no more means she can't return to her bed that night, her place of residence. She can't go home. Go and sin no more means you can't go back to living with the guy that you're with. You have to change. It's a massive, massive call. Jesus' words of conviction turn her life upside down. But then again, is it turning our life upside down or is it turning our life up the right way? You decide. John 8, 12 is clear. Jesus is the light that leads to life. So we don't need to get around operating as though the power is off. We're in the dark. We're working life out by, its, by ourselves. We're bumping into the furniture. No, no, no. Jesus says, I am the light. I'm willing to do life with you. But yes, you must respond to my voice, which at times is going to confront you in conviction. One final kicker Jesus has for us here. He doesn't say it about the other I am statements in John. He doesn't say you are the bread. He doesn't say you are the door or you are the vine. But he will eventually tell his followers, you are the light of the world. You are. First he says, I am. But he goes on to say, you are. You are. And just as God in the very first instance, as we return our thoughts to where we began, spoke with his mouth and created light. I wonder what that means for us in this cultural moment, to be light bearers of Jesus. I think the challenge today is with our speech, certainly the way we speak over ourselves, that's a good start. Stop the condemnation. But then beyond that, how can we use our mouth to bring light? In this 
cultural moment which we could choose to be so pessimistic and so dark. Yes, absolutely. We'll be people that find moments of gratitude. Will we be people that count our blessings? Will we be people of the light who see the colour and see the radiance and see the presence of God even amongst the obvious challenges that exist? Will you join me in prayer as we close? Lord, we join the writer of Psalm 139 where he invites your divine spotlight into his life. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Lord, today we need your heavenly spotlight to shine on us. Reveal the areas that we need to change. Reveal the areas that we're out of alignment with you. God, we want to grow. We want to be conduits of your light into a dark world. Please don't leave us in the dark. And God, we ask at this time for those of us who are struggling to see light because the challenges are very real at this point in time. Lord, we ask that we won't fall into the trap of thinking we have to manufacture, manufacture our own light, but we would rather let your presence in to begin to make sense and create order of situations that look dark. Lord, we hand those challenges over to you. They're too heavy for us to carry. And so we bring them to you today. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would shine your light in. Lord, for those of us who, during this message, have identified areas where we've been operating under condemnation, we turn away from that today in Jesus' name. And we repent from being the ones that at times do it to ourselves, curse ourselves with our words instead of believing what you say about us. God, give us the courage. Please, God, give us the courage today to turn away from that and to walk into the light with you and obey your call on our lives, even when it looks scary, even when it's unknown, knowing that you have a heart for us, you are good, and, and every single time you, you bid us and to come, Lord, it's to increase our relationship with you. Jesus, we need your light at this time. And we ask for it and we receive it today in your mighty name. Amen. We're going to close with a song today, Waymaker. It's all about Jesus being the light in the darkness. There is hope today. Sing this out with our team. God bless.